We are continuing in our series on uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And so for those of you who are maybe just joining us for the first time, let me just give you a little bit of context for um, the scripture that we just had read. So this is Jesus' sermon. He's the one who's doing the teaching. And there is a a crowd that has gathered to to lean in and listen to him. And so Jesus is actually sitting down on the side of a mountain, hence the name, the Sermon on the Mount. And so he's sitting down and he's teaching his followers. And as Chris just mentioned, we are heading into, for the next several weeks, we're going to be heading into the part of Jesus' sermon where he begins to talk about a bunch of just wildly practical, profound things. He is going to talk about things like money, things like lust and marriage and divorce and worry, like wildly practical things. And so I hope you guys stick around over the next several weeks for it because he's really, as Chris said, going to start getting into like the nitty gritty of our lives and start kind of like poking at some things. And today, we are going to be sitting in this part of the sermon where Jesus is going to teach his followers about anger. And I have to tell you that um, I didn't, I used to think that I didn't really deal with anger. You know, like I didn't have an anger problem. Um, And then I had kids. And um, I know, (laughs) I'm joking, but only kind of, because here, here, listen, if you have kids, you know, especially if you have older kids, um, because I love my kids. But I just never knew until I had them that a person could make me so mad. (laughs) I never knew that there was this thing inside of me that could be so quick to just flare up with anger. It was actually alarming um, at first whenever I was like, oh, I didn't know that that was even deep inside me somewhere. That's crazy. So I want you to know, this is not me like teaching at you. You guys better get some stuff right. This is like, I I need this lesson as well. And actually just to take it even deeper, I think that right now we're living in a cultural moment where Jesus is teaching here about anger and Matthew chapter 5 is probably something that we as the church just need to revisit and sit in a little while because there's a lot for us to be angry about these days. So let's just pray as we get started. Living God, we do invite you to do a deep and good work in us today. I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts to understanding, help us to hear the words that Jesus is teaching us. I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is alive and active and that it applies to us today, tonight. I pray that the words out of this mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be so very pleasing in your sight, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. So as I've been sitting in this story um, of Jesus' teaching, here's how I see it. I see this as um, it has three movements. And so let me give you a roadmap for these three movements. The first thing that we're going to see is that Jesus is going to identify a problem. He's going to identify a problem for us. And then the second thing he's going to do is he's going to give us some examples of the problem. And then the third thing he's going to do is give us a solution to the problem. So he's going to give us a pro- tell us what the problem is, he's going to give us some examples, and then he's going to give us a solution. So if you're taking notes, uh, the title of today's message would be Radical Reconciliation. And I don't always tell you the title of, um, of a sermon, but I felt like it was important today, and here's why. It's because the goal of today is, well, 
we're, we're going to talk about anger, but we're not going to stay there because Jesus doesn't stay there. The goal of our time tonight is to start by talking about anger, but moving our way towards the goal of being reconciled to one another. It's tonight we're going to talk about what it means to be rightly related, even though we might disagree over some stuff. So here's the first thing we're going to see in this text. The first thing we're going to see is that Jesus identifies a problem. Verse 21, he says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Okay, so apparently the people sitting there listening to him, they have heard at some point in their lives this command, do not murder. So when I read that, my natural question is, okay, so where would they have heard this? Well, the answer is they would have heard this from the Ten Commandments. If we rewind in our Bibles to the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 20, do not murder is the sixth command. There are ten commands. This was the sixth one. And, you know, I imagine that most of the people sitting there listening to Jesus reference this command of do not murder, they are probably making a mental catalog knowing what all ten of the commandments are. And they probably thought to themselves, oh, this is the one I'm good on. Like, I don't have a natural desire to just up and murder somebody. So I may, I may struggle with some of the other commands, but this is one I'm good, off, good, good in. Like, I'll just check that one off the list. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on in verse 22, and he says, But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. So what is happening here? Well, Jesus isn't telling them that they have been taught wrong. That's not what he's doing. He isn't saying that do not murder is a wrong commandment. What he's doing is he's actually deepening the command that they've been taught. He's not contradicting it. Um, if you have been here, if you were here actually last week, Jer showed us an image. I wonder if we could just put it up on the screen. There it is. And I think that this is a really helpful, um, it gives us a visual of what it is that Jesus is doing. So the idea here is that Jesus is not erasing or contradicting the law, in this case, the Ten Commandments. What Jesus is doing is he's coming in and he's showing us the full circle of it. He's rounding it out. So where they had heard, do not murder, which was correct, what Jesus does is he rounds it out more fully to say, listen, don't just not murder. Don't even get angry enough to the point where you would even want to murder. So Jesus is basically saying here, listen, murder isn't the problem. Murder is a symptom of the problem. The root of the problem, the deeper issue here is anger. It's contempt. Um, years ago, my dad was having like weird health problems. Like he was having like all these seemingly unrelated symptoms. And I think it was over the course of a couple of years and he was seeing doctors and specialists. And finally one doctor was like, I think it's your gallbladder. That's a good thing to hear, right? Like, I think, like, maybe we should take it out. So they took it out, and all of these symptoms went away. All these weird, unrelated symptoms went away, and he was, it was totally cleared up. And so I use that image because like a good doctor, what Jesus is doing is he's getting to the root cause of what is actually behind murder. And I think that this levels the playing field a little bit for all of us because we may not have desires, to go out and murder somebody. But we have all been angry. Every one of us. I don't care how, how nice you think you are, or how sweet, or how, you know. But we have all been angry. All of us. So I want to talk about this for a moment and just break it down. 
let's define what anger is. So just according to our good old Merriam-Webster dictionary, this is the definition of anger. It is a strong feeling of displeasure and usually antagonism. A strong feeling of displeasure and usually antagonism. Um, I want to be clear that there are times when anger is absolutely the appropriate response to some things. Paul, in the book of Ephesians, he says this. He says, be angry. Be angry. Tells us to. Be angry, but in your anger, do not sin. So the implication here is that there are times when the right response is, in fact, anger, but we can be angry without sinning. It is right for you and I to be angry over some things. It's right for us to be angry over things like child pornography. It's right for us to be angry over systemic racism. It is right for us to be angry over human trafficking. It's right for us to be angry over the things that are happening in Ukraine. It's right. That's good. We know that Jesus got angry. We have, we have an example of him. If you know the story um, in the New Testament of him getting um, upset with the money changers in the temple, all of these things are what we, we in the church, we like to call it a, um, a righteous anger. Maybe a better word for that would be like a healthy anger. It's like an anger over an injustice, an anger when we see things that are out of sync with God's kingdom. That's righteous anger. And that is not what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, there are two words in the Greek for anger. The first word is the word thumos. Thumos. Um, thumos is like a, um, a quick flare-up kind of an anger, and, but it goes away quickly. So uh, like you're driving to work and you get cut off by somebody and you're like, ah! But then by the time you get to work, it's forgotten. You don't remember it anymore. For me, in the middle of the night, walking to get water and stepping on my kid's Lego, ah! You know, immediate... Uh, Anger. It's the kind of anger that's like easily ignited, but it's also easily extinguished. We've probably all experienced that in some form or another. The second word in the Greek for anger is the word orgizo. This is a deeper kind of an anger. This is the kind of anger where you just like brood over the thing. It's a fixed anger where you won't move on. It's like holding a grudge. So where thumos is more like, like a moment of anger, or gizo is more like a state of anger. Both types are not okay. But it's this second word, or gizo, this is the one that Jesus is talking about. This is the kind of anger he's addressing in Matthew 5. He's addressing the kind of anger that you and I would allow to fester. This word, orgizo, is also a present participle. I know it's a Sunday night, y'all are like, what? I don't, I don't need an English lesson. I get it, but just stick with me for a second, because this is good. The word orgizo, it's a present participle, which means that Jesus isn't just saying whoever is angry. He's actually, it's actually translated this way, whoever is being angry. Whoever is being angry. Dale Bruner is a theologian and a scholar, and he said it could best be translated this way. Whoever is remaining angry or whoever is nursing a grudge. So Jesus is addressing us saying, listen, whoever is remaining angry. Um, some of you might know that years ago, my husband, Ryan, and, and our kids, we lived in Alabama. We lived there for about 10 years, and 
we lived on this great little street, and we had the best neighbors. And every uh, Thursday night, we would do something called Sunset Thursday, where we would uh, go out on one of the different neighbors' lawns, and we would have appies together. And we all had kids the same year, and so we would like let the kids play in the front yard. And it was awesome. We just did a whole lot of life together. You could do that in the South, because you could pretty much count on the fact that it was going to be hot every day, and that it wasn't going to be raining. So it was just like a year-round thing that we would do. It's, it's nice to think about that, right? It was also very humid, so you, you know, you got to take the good with the bad. Anyways, point is, there must have been like maybe 40 of us. There were a lot of us, and we would do this every Thursday night, and we loved it. Well, one sunset Thursday, um, and I can't remember all the details of what happened, but there was a miscommunication, an offense that took place between me and one of our neighbors, and you know, it didn't get cleared up by the end of the night. And I remember walking home to our house and just feeling like that, like that icky feeling whenever something is off with you and a friend, you know? And I was like, oh man. I went to bed thinking about it. I woke up thinking about it. And then one day went by, two days went by, and I remember in that time frame thinking, oh, I, I do not like this. Like, we have we got to talk about this. Like, at some point, we just need to get things cleared up. But those two days ended up turning into a week, which turned into a month, which turned into months, which turned into a year, two years. And the longer the thing went on, as you can imagine, the deeper the offense went. And that initial feeling that I had of like, man, we need to make things right, we got to get okay with one another. The longer it went on, my hurt turned into anger, and my anger turned into, con into contempt, which had me, in, instead of this attitude of we should get things right, I started thinking, you know what? I'm right. I'm right. Like, I don't need to apologize. We're, like, I'm good. I'm good. Like, this is, this is not my problem anymore. We eventually moved, not because of that. <laughs> not because of that. It was just time. We eventually moved, and here's the thing. Every time I thought about that situation in the years afterward, it just made my blood boil. So I wouldn't think about it. I just, like, vaulted it away. I just, just anything associated with it, which is so sad and very immature, and I recognize the immaturity in it, I would just, like, I would just lock it down. And I don't know, but I, I'm willing to bet that I'm not alone in this. Maybe it's not quite as uh, crazy of a situation as that, but I, I bet that we have all similar stories of times where we have just sat in our anger. I can think of other times I've gotten upset and, and offended and just let myself sit in it, like a misunderstanding or a disagreement with, with my husband, you know, just like let that sit on a low simmer all day long until the end of the night, and it's just like, okay, we got to talk. Or, you know, you see a friend post a picture, and they're like all out to dinner, or they're all out hiking or something, and not only were you not invited, you had no idea it was happening. You're like, oh, there, guess, okay, guess my friend circle just changed. You're like immediately offended and hurt. And the hurt turns into anger. And the anger turns into stewing, where we start thinking really negative thoughts about the other people. Andy Stanley in Enemies of the Heart, he says that the underlying feeling of anger is you owe me. 
You owe me. You owe me a turn signal. You owe me a promotion. You owe me an invitation. You owe me, and you fill in the blank for whatever it is that you feel that you were owed. And one of the ways that I want to suggest our anger comes out over these kinds of things is not just by up and murdering someone. <laughs> it's through our words. It's through our words. Jesus goes on to, to talk about this in verse 22. He says, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. So uh, raka is a word that means empty-headed. It expresses contempt for a person's head. It's like saying, you stupid. The word fool is a term that expresses contempt for a person's heart. So raka is like an attack on somebody's intellect. Calling somebody a fool is an attack on their character. And I just, as an aside, I do want to acknowledge that there are times, if, you are, um, if you've read the Bible, you're a student of Scripture, it doesn't take far to read to know that Jesus calls people fool. And Proverbs talks a lot about foolishness, talks a lot about the fool. Um, Paul, in his letters in the New Testament, he talks about fools. So what does this mean then? Like, why, why is Jesus telling us that we can't call somebody a fool when he, in fact, does it? Well, here's what I want to suggest. It's that there is a difference between giving an accurate description of someone who is acting foolishly and having a dismissive contempt for them. So for example, I will tell my boys, I've got three of them, I will tell my boy, and they're older by the way, I will tell them when they're acting foolishly. And I'll use that word. I will say, you are acting foolish right now. Now it's not because I'm attacking their character, in fact, it's the opposite. It's because I care very much about their character. I care very much about the person that they're being formed into. I care very much about the shaping of their heart and their soul. And so as their mother, I come in and I point out to them, listen, you are acting foolishly right now. Let's walk in wisdom. Let's, let's course correct. Let's adjust. And so Jesus says, hey, listen, don't do this where you just dismissively call somebody a name out of anger. Don't attack someone's character and call them a name like a fool just because you're upset with them and you're not actually trying to help develop their character. So Jesus was getting at something very important here when he says don't call somebody raka and don't call them a fool, and it's this. It's that our words bear witness to what's going on inside of us. If we fast forward a few chapters to Matthew chapter 12, Jesus goes on to say that the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And so I just have to like, ask myself, if my mouth is quick to spew out these kind of things, now I may not call somebody raka, that's not really a word in my regular vocabulary, maybe it is for you, but there are other words that I might use, and, and if... If I use these words that attack a person's intellect or attack a person's character, I have to ask myself, like, what is going on in my heart that this is just coming out? What is going on inside of me? And as I said at the beginning of our time together today, most of us probably, probably feel like pretty okay about this whole like do not murder situation. We're like, good, good there. But Jesus, again, he's deepening this thing. He's rounding it out so that it applies to all of us. Because we may not be murderers, 
but we all have mouths. And there is so much power, so much power in our words, you guys. We can start fires and we can put them out with our mouths. Just to offer a little free advice, you can take it or leave it, and I'm up here anyways, <laughs> so I'll just say it. But sometimes the best thing we can do is just keep our mouths shut, especially when we're angry. So anger starts inside of us, and it works its way out of us, usually through our mouths first, and eventually it can, not always, but it can turn into physical harm. So this is the problem that Jesus has identified. It is this human proclivity toward anger. Okay, so now, second movement in the story, Jesus is going to give us some examples. He's going to give us two examples, actually. Um, first, he's going to give us ex an example of when we're at odds with a friend, and then he's going to give us an example of when we're at odds with an enemy. He's covering all the bases. So let's read um, again in verse 23 and 24. He says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. Okay, so the people who were sitting there on this side of the mountain listening to Jesus speak, they would have immediately understood the implications of what Jesus was saying because this is kind of like an exaggerated, funny story. So here's what you need to know. Um, the altar that Jesus was talking about was located 70 miles away from where they were sitting. It was located in Jerusalem. Where they were sitting was by the Sea of Galilee. So what Jesus is explaining to them is, listen, if you leave here, and you go to make your offering at the altar in Jerusalem, and you've traveled the 70 miles, and you get there, you're getting ready to make your offering, and you're like, oh, right, something is off with me and, you know, so-and-so back home. You're supposed to leave it there, go back, get things right, which that's like a whole deal conversation. Go back again the 70 miles, and then come home. Seven, so it's like 70 times four. That's a lot of traveling. And just to put it in perspective, um, I, guys, I Google mapped it because I wanted to know how far is that? Like if we were to walk out the front doors of Strathcona Church and start walking 70 miles, how far would that take us? Well, it would take us about 22 hours and we would end up just outside of Chilliwack. That's where we would be. Okay, so imagine that we, and I know some of you are like, no, I could run that thing. I could do that in half the time. I'm good. That's great. Let's just all pretend like we're walking with camels and such, okay? Um, this is the picture Jesus is giving them. He's giving them an exaggerated version. And here's the point that I think that he's making. He's making the point that reconciliation is going to cost us something. It's going to cost us time. It's not always going to be convenient. It's not always going to be easy. Like, obviously, this is not a one-day trip Jesus is talking about. It also takes incredible humility to do something like this. Because I wonder if you notice that it said to go back, if you remember while you're at the altar, um, that somebody has something against you. This is when you remember, like, oh, somebody's upset with me. This is not me remembering that I have something against somebody else. This is me remembering somebody's got something against me and I need to go make things right. It takes humility. 
I also think that he's pointing out to us or illustrating for us that reconciliation trumps even the sacredness of making an offering in the temple, which is maybe a hard thing for us to understand, but I'll just try to translate it the best way I can into today's language. And I think that Jesus is getting that, that he's more concerned about our hearts and about our being in right relationship with one another than he is concerned about the offerings that we think the church needs from us. And this can, this can work itself out in different ways. Like maybe you think the church really needs your time or your money or your volunteering, and those are not bad things. But Jesus is more concerned about us being right with one another Volunteer all you want, but go get right with your your brother or your sister who things are off with. He cares so much about it, and it matters. Mark 12, 33 says, To love the Lord with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important, more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. This is how much he cares about it. And for some of us, we may be able to wrap our brains around this a little bit. Like, all right, okay, I can track along with that. I understand that I should get right with a friend. It's going to be hard, but I, I get it. I get what Jesus is saying. But Jesus does what he does so well, and he takes it even deeper and doesn't leave it there. And he now addresses those times when we're at odds with an enemy. Verse 25 and 26 Jesus says, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So Jesus doesn't just stop at being reconciled with our friends or our family. We're also to be reconciled with our enemies. And the distinction in this story is that Jesus tells us to do it quickly. And I think just practically speaking, you know, if we don't get things right, if we let it fester, uh, it will only make things worse. That's just the way it happens. Like a a wound that that festers is always harder to treat. And that is true with a friend. It's true with a friend. But it is even more true when it's someone that you already don't see eye to eye with. When it's already somebody, like, when there's, like, maybe a bit of history there. The grace is already thin. And so it matters that much more that we get things settled quickly because it can escalate so much quicker when it's with somebody that we're already just, we're not, like, we're not doing well together. And so here's the big picture that I think Jesus is teaching in both of these examples. It's that anger not only fractures our relationship with one another. It fractures our relationship with God. Because I just want you to think about this for a moment. Like, why do we think that we could, like, yell at our kids in the car before coming into church or, or get in, like, a major disagreement with, like, our roommate or, or our spouse or our friend or a coworker? And we could just, like, come into church or go into our prayer time and just praise Jesus and think like nothing happened. I don't know why there's this tendency in our hearts to want to silo off our relationship with the Lord away from all of our other relationships as if one doesn't affect the other. It just doesn't even make sense. 
I love what John Mark Comer says about these verses. He says, your relationship with God is tied up in your relationship with other people. And it's true. I think that at least part of the reason for that is because we're made in his image. So contempt for a human is ultimately contempt for God because we have been made in his image. To use this example, like if you come after my kid, you come after me. And you're going to get a whole lot of mama bear. <laughs> um, I will often do this with my own children. My boys aren't here, but they would tell you, they would tell you it's true. Um, as I mentioned, there's three boys. They're older. And so they, they fight a lot. I don't know how to, if you know my kids, you know. Like, anyways, and they name call. It's just a thing. We're working on it, okay? Um, but when they do this, I will often... So if one boy name calls another boy, like attacks that kid, I will stand in front of the one who's been attacked. And I will look at the one who's done the attacking. And I will tell them, do not talk to my son that way. It's my way of reminding them, I love you both. But this is my kid. This is my son. You're my son. But you don't get to attack my kid in my presence and me not come in front and stand guard over him and remind you of whose he is. And I think that this is part of like this whole being made in God's image thing. Contempt for another human is ultimately contempt for God. When we attack his kids, we come after him. And so Jesus has given us this problem. It's anger. He's given us a couple of examples, and now here's the third thing we see. He's going to give us a solution. Yay. He's going to give us a solution. He doesn't just leave us with the problem. He gives us a way forward, and the way forward is to seek reconciliation. And there's a lot that we could say here. There are so many um, implications, and I just want to acknowledge that I know that reconciliation is not always as easy as it sounds. And I, and I want to make a distinction as well that um, there are times when there are people who have hurt us, uh, who, who we are angry with. They're not safe people. They're not the kind of people that we should actually be in a room with. Like I'm thinking of abusive type of situations here. Forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. We can absolutely forgive someone without being in a restored, reconciled relationship. It is possible. And for some of you, the best thing that you, you could maybe do today is just recognize that anger has been festering and you're going to choose to forgive, just, just to do the work in your own heart, knowing that you can't actually be in a, uh, you know, doing life together kind of relationship again. Or to even back it up a step further, there are some of you who the first step forward for you might actually be just praying that God would even give you a desire to want to forgive because you're not even there yet. But for others of you who it is absolutely within your capacity to make things right, you should. Uh, I told you, like, after we moved off of our street, we were, um, it had been a few years, and um, I was in this really, I don't know, sweet 
moment in time in my relationship with the Lord. It's always sweet, but you know, it was like, it was just like, it was just a, a sweet time. And I was praying this really sincere, honest prayer. And I was like, Lord, I just, I want to know you more. I want to go deeper with you. Would you just show me anything in my life that like needs to, like any idols in my life or anything that needs to get weeded out or just, would you, would you just, I don't know. I, I just want to know you more. So just, would you, would you speak to me, Lord? And I don't really know what I thought he was going to say. Um, I don't, I, I don't know. But I began to, as I prayed this, I began to just over and over again get my old neighbor's faces in my head. And I was like, man, that is so annoying. Like, go, go away. I don't want to think about you right now. And then I would just pray, oh, Lord, would you just speak to me? And then their faces would come to my head and be like, ugh, stop. This went on for like a week. I'm not kidding. It was, it was, I was like, well, I'm just seeking you. Like, why are you telling me? Anyway, and then um, finally after a week, I clued in. It took me a little bit. I was like, oh, I get it. And I really did feel like the Lord was asking me to get things right. And I was like, oh, man, okay. So I did, I did the thing. I did the Matthew 5 thing. I was like, all right, I've got to find these people. So I found out that they had moved away to a different state, actually. And I was like, well, I tried. <laughs> you know, what are you going to do? Um, but, and now this is going to make me sound really old. Oh, I hesitate to even say it, but... Facebook was, like, kind of new. <laughs> and I was like, I wonder if I could, like, find them on Facebook. I could. Um, and I really felt like I was, like, doing detective work. Like, now that's, like, such a normal thing. But then I was like, oh, like, I found people on Facebook. That's wild. Anyways, I found them, reached out, connected with them, and just apologized. And it was really humbling. Um, but we got things right. They are still friends of ours to this day. In fact, a couple years ago, like right before COVID, they came up. We got to show them around the city, take them to, to dinner. And all you local Vancouver people will be so sad to know that we took them to Cactus Club. I know. Um, but you know what? We took them to the one, I know. Oh, immediate judgment. I felt it in a huge wave. Wow. You're like, she is so from Langley. <laughs> wow. That hurts, guys. Um, but listen, we took them to the one on Cole Harbor because the view, right? Like, yeah, I heard one. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Josh. Lynn, you know, I felt the respect level for me drop significantly. But anyways, the point is that we're good. We're good. And it's great. And I couldn't even, I can't even tell you how I didn't realize until we got things right the weight that I'd been carrying. And even more so than that, after we got things right and I went back into my time with the Lord, I just felt such, like, approval. Like, just such an um, affirmation from him. Like, yes, this is what I'm after. Now let's move forward now that we've gotten some of that cleared out. So the solution that Jesus lays out for us here in Matthew 5 is just really very, very practical. And the first person who I actually heard um, kind of lay this out was John Mark Homer, and so props to him. But it's actually just right here in the text where he says, Jesus says, the way forward. We go to the other person. We settle things. 
with them the best way that we can. And we do it quickly, with some urgency. And the reason we do it with urgency is because there is danger in letting it grow. There's danger in letting it grow. So here's God's intent. If we are not angry with one another, murder will never occur. And maybe this all sounds easy enough, you know? But I do want to pause just for a moment and acknowledge that we're sitting in a really unique cultural moment where there's, again, so much that we could be angry over. So much. And so many of us are angry. Angry over COVID, mandates, masks, vaccines, passports, policies, politicians, convoys, so many things. And I want to be clear that there are not just two sides to any of this because this is incredibly, you know, complex and nuanced and so very layered. But I do want to say this, that no matter your position on any of this, I think that we could probably all agree on one thing. And it's that people, even within the church, people are deeply divided. And this division is leading to anger. And the longer it festers, the angrier we get. And this anger is turning into contempt. Where we begin to look on others who disagree with us as beneath us. And this kind of anger that we have witnessed over the course of the last couple years, this is exactly the kind of anger that Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 5. We do not have to go far to find a real flesh and blood example of this kind of anger. We're living in it. It's all around us. But here's the good news. Jesus tells us exactly how we're to deal with it. He tells us exactly that in a world that would tell us to fight for our own rights, in a world that would tell us to fight for our own rightness, For our own agendas, Jesus tells us um, to fight instead for radical reconciliation. And he calls us to a reconciliation with one another because this is what he did for us. He laid his life down for us. He did the hard thing. Romans 5.10 says that while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. Listen, while we were still far off, He came for us. He could have written us off. He could have washed his hands of us. He could have done away with us, but he didn't. He did the costly thing, the hard, time-consuming, inconvenient thing, the humbling thing. And it led Jesus to a cross on our behalf. And he came for us. And he died for us, for you and reconciled us to himself. And if you and I are gonna be radically committed to following Jesus, if we're gonna call ourselves followers of Jesus, we have no option but to follow him in the way of radical reconciliation. This is how he lays it out for us. This is the way forward to not sit in our anger, to not stew over it any longer, but to get right with one another, 
And I fully believe that the church ought to be leading the way in this. That the church ought to be leading the way in these uncertain times. We ought to be the ones to show what reconciliation looks like in an angry world. The church ought to be showing how we can disagree but still live in unity. Or just to throw back to the Beatitudes from a few weeks ago, the church ought to be showing that we care more about being rightly related to one another than we care about being right. So, as we close, I just want to ask a couple of hard questions. They're hard for me as well. I want you to know that some of this, like all of this stuff, it lands for me too. Just in my own personal journey, like I've had to work through a lot of this in the last couple of weeks. So are there people in your life that you need to be reconciled with? Is there a festering anger that you know, maybe it's been years in the making, but you can just feel it stewing again. People you need to forgive, people you need to ask for forgiveness from. I just want to ask the Holy Spirit to do the deep work in us tonight. If you'd be willing to let him. He's so good and so faithful. And it's his kindness that leads us to this kind of repentance where we can own our stuff. And I don't know about you, but I want to be free of all of that mess. <laughs> like, I don't want to be an angry, frustrated, stewing person. I want to be free. And the good news is that God is for us, and he wants us to be free. As we close, I just want to pray this prayer over our church community. I found it. It's out of a book called Every Moment Holy by Douglas McKelvey. Um, it's a liturgical prayer book. It's wonderful. I highly recommend it. But I'm just going to pray this over, over us. Oh, Spirit of God, when I feel the urge to express my pain as anger directed at another, restrain my tongue, reframe my frustration, stay my hands, reign in my heart, fill me afresh with your grace. Let me see and name my own emotion rightly. For at the root of this mess is the good, deep, and heartbreaking desire for reunion. And my anger cannot achieve that end.